0: Thank you, Natalie. Just wanted to say a, a word about we had mentioned uh, year-end giving uh, last week, and just have had uh, a number of folks that have uh, given above and beyond their ties and offerings, making up that difference in the budget. Yet, and just wanted to say uh, really a, a thank you. It's uh, a somewhat overwhelming to see. People give a little bit extra. In fact, we have someone who watches online, um, and uh, um, we had never met them before. And they came, and and they said, "We're your. Ch- you, you haven't met us yet, but we're dealing with some physical things and some struggles. And yet, someday we'll 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 come into the church. But here's a year end giving gift. It was just a it was just a blessing. So really neat. And then I'll say just a word also about uh. The, the Reader's Sunday, I'm excited about that. When, when David Palser and Jedidiah brought that up, I thought, yes, there's, there's just a power in the Word of God, just in it being read. And it just sinks deep into your bones. Sometimes I'm just thankful that I'm just reading the Word because if you get nothing else, at least you've just heard the Word read. So I think come with that posture. I think it will be neat uh, participating in the in the prayer vigil, and and doing that even if it's a short time. If you've never done it, we'll we'll provide some prompts. But do that, and then come next Sunday to the prayer vigil, and then come just to let kind of let us soak in the Word of God. Does that sound fun? Yeah. All right. So most of us had a good Christmas, but there's many of us that Christmas is a hard time. We, we have a whole category that the, did you know that the church has come up with blue Christmas? Elvis Presley sang about it first, right? And then there's actually traditions in uh, uh, different Christian traditions that they will have a blue Sunday service. Has anyone ever been to a blue Sunday service by chance? It's usually uh, winter winter solstice, the longest day in the uh, in the year, December twenty first, oftentimes, and they'll have a blue Sunday, just providing space for angst, for struggle, for discontent. And I know that for many of us, we grew up with. with uh, Christmases that were, were kind of that quintessential Christmas of family and faith and celebration and fun. But for many of us, now there's empty places at the table. And, and we have to wrestle through and, and saying goodbye and how we carry that loss and that difficulty and that pain along with The the celebration, the mystery, the miracle, the majesty of Christmas. Sometimes that can be a little bit different and difficult to figure out how we do that. In our final chapter here in Philippians, Paul makes this pretty amazing statement. He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Like that's kind of a big statement, right? Like He says in any situation, now this is someone who had been beaten for the gospel. This, this was someone bit by a snake. He'd been uh, right, almost dead several times, flogged. He's in prison now. And he makes, and we can all, it's part of human nature. We can all relate to struggle and discontent and angst. And then Paul says, I've learned the secret. being content in every circumstance. That's pretty significant, right? We should like, what's the secret? What's the remedy? How, even in, in every circumstance, no matter how difficult Paul is saying, what is that secret remedy? Now, I have a confession to make. When I was a young college pastor, my first year graduated from college, I'm serving on a college pastor setting in in Illinois, and I led a Bible study on Philippians with a bunch of students, and we walked through the amazing book of Philippians, and we'd wrestled through it, and we got to this final chapter, and we got to Paul saying, I've learned the secret of contentment. And we couldn't figure out what his secret was. He wrote it in such a way that we're like, mm, and, and we, we discussed it, I asked questions, I kind of said, hey, I, I'm leading this thing, but I don't really get it. So, and, we, and I remember walking away with a profound sense of being discontent about that final Bible study, right? And so it's my desire that however many years, what, 25 years later, (laughs) that you will not walk away from this final message on Philippians filled with discontent. And yeah, I don't get it. That it's my desire that we understand what Paul is saying because I think it's significant. It's huge, huge. It's really important that we can bring to any circumstance if we get it. So let's try and get it. Shall we try and get it? All right. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. A, A familiar refrain. Yes, he's been inviting us to rejoice, be full of joy, people of joy throughout all of Philippians. I will say it again, rejoice, just in case we missed it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, boy, he likes that phrase, every situation, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed Your concern for me. The Philippians had sent a financial gift to Paul to help him in this moment. Now he's thanking them for this gift. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying that because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, verse 14, it was good for you to share in my troubles. And then he goes on to thank them and gives them a final greeting. All right, what's his secret of contentment? Huh? What we just read, yes. But you see what I mean? Like he's like, I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I'm hungry or I'm starving in whatever situation. And by the way, thanks for the gift that you gave me. It's like, does he just want us to know that he learned the secret? Right? So, So what is that? Here's what I think is the key. I think Paul is placing this at the end of the letter as a summation. We're kind of waiting for a big reveal, right? Like we're, we're used to the commercials, like, boy, if you, if you drink this tea, it's like heaven on earth. Have you seen those tea commercials? I just saw a bumper sticker for an AM radio station. Change your station, change your life. Really? Well the station changed my is an AM station. I'm gonna change like we're we're waiting for this secret ingredient that Paul would give us, and then BAM, contentment. And I don't think that's what Paul is doing. What what Paul is doing is he is writing it and using this as a summation. Paul's been laying out these incredible perspectives in Philippians, which I, I hope that you have. Thank you, Natalie, for those words of blessing on Philippians. I've been really taken with Philippians. I've been loving Philippians. He's been this, the spirituality that that Paul is laying out, the perspectives that Paul is laying out, so powerful in Philippians. And I believe he's saying, you you read it, he says, put into practice these things. He's got these final exhortations, but he's saying essentially, if you live this way, you too will learn the secret of contentment. All right, we're going to talk about the summation of that and really apply, but I want to say one more thing, that contentment is also a present reality and a goal to be obtained. All right, hold on to this idea, all right? Paul, uh, Paul is saying, what is more I consider, this is in verse eight, I can. this is uh, chapter three, I want us to back up for just a moment into chapter 3. And remember, chapter 3, that was Jedediah's message on trash. And he's saying, compared to this goal of life, everything is trash. And that goal of life we find in verse 8 it says, What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Foundational to this secret of contentment is that we would have a similar life goal as Paul. And I would believe that we are not going to have that contentment unless we recognize this life goal. And he says, again, I consider all things lost uh, lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So foundational to contentment, is union with Christ or knowing Christ, yes? All right, if you're, if you're still, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. All right, now, union with Christ in Paul's perspective is both a present reality for him and something to be achieved going to be really important. A present reality, Paul is experiencing a present reality, and at the same time, he would say, I haven't accomplished the goal. Reread chapter 3. He's going to say, I, I'm, I've not arrived there. I know Christ. This is awesome. This is incredible. Union with Christ. I would love to be with him. Remember chapter two? And then he goes, or chapter one. And then he goes, and yet don't think I've, I've arrived there. There's this journey. There's this pressing in. There's this way that, that he's saying, I've I, not yet. And then verse 16, he says, Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Union with Christ is yours. Union with Christ is an invitation. With me? And if you begin in that place, now, it's this, let me put it another way, there's a a kingdom principle that we talk a lot about and already, but not yet. That's so true of many things. You are united with Christ already. Hallelujah! But in terms of intimacy and closeness and the love of Christ, oh, he's inviting us into so much more. if you have that backdrop of the secret of contentment, then I think we begin to understand he's saying now, here's these final exhortations. I've been laying this out for you. I've been giving you this incredible, this amazing goal in life, purpose in life, union with Christ, and to live his kingdom. I mean, there's, a lot more that will flow, but we're gonna just stay with union with Christ at this moment. And then he says this, all right, now, verse nine, I want you to put these things into practice so that you too will share in the secret of contentment. And let's just walk verse by verse. Look with verse four again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. This is like the 14th or 15th time that he is saying rejoice. He likes repetition. Like, do you remember? He's calling us back. And I think, do you remember we started wrestling with whether there's a difference between happiness and joy? And... I I don't see it biblically. And I think a little bit of the answer is right here in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. Remember, we reflected, blessed can be happy. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So I think there's a joy. And even a happiness, even in the midst of our mourning and our circumstances. And I think this little phrase helps us understand when he says rejoice in the Lord. It gives a little bit of clarity. I think what Paul is saying, we don't deny the pain, the struggle, and the hurt. We don't pretend that it doesn't happen. We don't not give space we don't have blue Christmas Sundays. It's okay to have space. But what Paul, I believe, is saying is even in the midst of those struggles, if you want to experience contentment, you lay that circumstance, that difficulty and that pain in the Lord. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel deeply the sadness and the struggle. I would argue it's even more authentic and real. And yet, whatever that struggle, that pain is, when we lay it in the Lord, along with the Lord, we experience God's joy. Dear, I say, even Happiness in the Lord, in the midst, right next to, alongside the pain. You know, another letter, Second Corinthians, Paul said this that he was struggling. He was he was being um, persecuted to such a degree. He said, "I want to be honest. It was beyond his ability to endure." And he desired, he despaired of life itself. He wanted life done in an escape way. This is the Apostle Paul. The same inspired author who's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. How could the same author say, I despaired even of life and rejoice in? in the Lord always I would say as we practice laying our circumstances in the Lord we discover a little bit about contentment joy and happiness let me give you just a few things at, at the, the deepest part of my personal struggle in life, which would have been about 15 years ago, just this immense sadness that I can relate to the despair, despairing even of life. That in the midst of that struggle, I experienced the closeness and the presence of Christ to perhaps the most profound degree at that moment I had up until my life when I was about 40. And so even in the midst of that pain and struggle, as I sought to place that in the Lord, I experienced a little bit more intimacy or union with Christ. I also dwelled, especially in the moments when I'm like, God, come on, relent, ow, It hurts. I read a pastor who said, God never wastes a hurt. He'll take whatever pain you're going through and he'll use it for your good and our good. And in the midst of my pain, I took so much hope in that. And then finally, this idea of there is an eternity, that this, my pain is temporary. And yet God's purposes, God's uh, work is eternal. That someday this pain will end. And love wins. And God wins. And he will bring me to a different place. Right in the midst of that, those things, I experienced that. And friends, I'd have to say, there was a joy in the Lord that's hard to explain, even in my worst moments. I think part of experiencing and understanding contentment is taking these difficult circumstances and placing them in the Lord. There's a dear saint that came also watching online. And she came this past week to my office and she wanted to share a number of things. One of them was her long, difficult battle with cancer. About 20 years she's been battling cancer. And she uttered this phrase. She said, I don't know how, you've probably heard this phrase, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. Have you heard? You've probably said that before, right? What Paul is saying is that God's, God will use this circumstance and, and the pain that you are in, in this present moment, is not all there is to life. The pain that we're in, the loss that we're in, that God is at work. God will meet you. God will restore. Believe that. Don't go through your pain without Jesus. Right? That's left for the world. That's why we need to go tell it on the mountains because Jesus meets us in that pain that no one else and nothing else in the world can do I think that's why Paul keeps saying rejoice in the Lord always I'll say it again just in case you've missed the first 15 times I've said it rejoice look at verse 5 verse 5 says let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near now I have a little bone to pick with translators that I was reading commentators and they did not say what I think This all of them say. Yeah, we're unsure why just kind of randomly uh, the, uh, that Paul would say the Lord is near. It's like not connected to anything. Do you know there's no punctuation in the original Greek? And I think it's very clear what Paul is saying in verse 5. I think it's part of learning contentment. I think take out the period in that verse and put in a comma. All right, do we have it up on the screen? Yes, yeah, our screens are wrong. All right, let me just put a comma. Let your gentleness be evident to all, comma. The Lord is near. Doesn't that make sense now? He what I believe Paul is saying is that he's saying that let your presence how people experience you reflect the presence of God. And there's something about gentleness. That Greek word implies a a, a thoughtfulness, a kindness, not a, a weakness at all. Remember, Jesus said he was gentle and humble in heart and yet he was very authoritative and courageous and strong and yet when people experience Jesus, they're like, there's this authority about him I was also thinking of the early apostles when, they, when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin and, and they're arguing with them. They're trying to tell them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And then it says this, this is Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Where are they getting this stuff? And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Their their time with Jesus was transforming, what would you call it, the atmosphere that they brought, the the presence in which they brought. I had a friend who said, you know, he he struggled with anxiousness and anxiety, and he said, I'm really working hard that I would be a non anxious presence when I walk into a room. I was walking with, uh, working with a uh, former staff and we're kind of wrestling through some dynamics. Okay, it was Marsha Metheny. No, I'm just kidding. I just sitting right there. No, former staff. No, good staff member. And I, but I said, hey, have you ever thought about how people experience you? the way in which you speak. And the staff member said, no, I, I never have. I said, let's talk about that. And that was really huge from him. He told me that was really huge as he was starting to be mindful of that. Would you think about that? When you walk into a room, how do people experience you? Is there any element? Let me read this again with a comma. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Brother Lawrence, a, a, served in a Carmelite monastery, he was known for this phrase, to practice the presence. And there's this beauty that we still talk about, you hear evangelicals talk about it all the time. He, had, he would wash dishes, in the presence of the Lord. People would come to see this dishwashing monk because the presence of God was just from him, was oozing from him. I thought, boy, I would love to, to... have people experience me that they'd know i'd been in prayer they'd know i'd been with jesus they'd know that they would know i don't know what's going on with eric but there's something in his presence maybe it's his gentleness or kindness that reflects the presence of the lord Why wouldn't that be beautiful to have that said about you and I? Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that contentment that as we practice, as as Paul practiced the presence of the Lord, so he's inviting us to practice the presence of the Lord. And then from that, will begin to figure out the secret of contentment. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Right there, we see this very intentional association that Paul makes between prayer and prayer praying with thanksgiving and our anxiety levels and our stress levels and our discontent level. What Paul is saying, there is, a, there is this divine association and so he's inviting us into a divine exchange. That we would exchange our anxious thoughts with His transcendent peace. And really, the only way I know to do that is through prayer. With thanksgiving. I'm going to read 6 again and then move on to 7 so you hear the promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's a promise. Paul is saying, this is what happens. It's spiritual. It's God. But this is what happens. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you think that has a little bit of something to do with the secret of contentment? Absolutely. I love how he uses the word guard. Right? He's saying, here's the promise. Yet the transcendent peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. I was thinking of uh, Cambria's favorite movie is The Blind Side, which is based off a true story, one of her favorite movies. Michael Orr is that, you know, he, well, he doesn't still play for uh, Baltimore Ravens, but he was a, a tackler or a guard. Have you guys, some of you have seen The Blind Side? Yeah? It's based on a true story. And so he's doing terrible. Like he's this huge, massive guy, and they're practicing on a high school football field, and he's doing terrible. And uh, the coach says, well, at least it'll be good coming off the bus. They'll be really intimidated until they realize he's a marshmallow, right? So he's just, he's not doing it well at all. And then um, his adopted mom uh, comes, walks on the practice field, Sandra Bullock, she did so well. And he's like, hey, what's going on? We're, we're practicing. She's like, you can thank me later. <laughs> and she says, Michael. You've protected me and your EJ, you know, her son. You've protected us. Now he, she brings over the quarterback. This is me. Protect me. Brings over the running back. This is EJ, the son. Protect him. You got it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. She walks back to the bleacher. She's like, EJ, get get ready. And he just dominates. He protects. He guards, right? He doesn't let anyone get. He throws these little things aside. I think the transcendent peace of God is a little bit like Michael Orr. Like he is going to throw those circumstances to the side. Paul is saying, do the divine exchange. Press into it. Pray with thanksgiving. Don't just you can control your anxiety levels. Here is this incredible resource that's been given to us. Would you take those anxious moments, those difficulties, and lay them before the Lord? Do the divine exchange. I've realized that this works I can pray and lay it and feel God's his presence fill me and so forth and I've also realized that a half hour later I can go right back into anxiety you know what I'm talking about right Susie? yeah? right? so does it mean it didn't work? no what do I do? The divine exchange again. I think that's in part why Paul says, pray continually, right? We take this and we, we pray that, we lay that, we, we go for a walk and allow God to give us that perspective. Okay, the, that divine exchange. Verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And then verse 9, whatever you've learned and received or heard from me and seen in me, put into practice. What he's saying is mindset. Practice a mindfulness. Be mindful of what you're thinking about. When you're laying in bed at night, where do your thoughts go? If you're anything like me, usually it's the anxiety from the day or anxiety from tomorrow. Yes? That fills my mind. And he's saying, you can decide what you focus your mind on. Your focus, what you focus on, directly affects your level of unhappiness. What you focus on directly affects your level of discontent. When I was serving in social work right after... University uh, and spent some time. They, our agency gave us the ability to be certified in something called reality therapy. It was a very practical therapy that we they recommended using, especially for high school students, young adults. It was very um, uh, a Freudian Freudian psychoanalysis individual created this. He he spent all this time in psychoanalysis. He's like, I'm not sure this is working. And so he developed this reality therapy that was really practical. And so we were trained to ask two questions. And I can give you these two questions. You can write them down. They're super simple. What do you want? And is what you're doing getting you what you want? That was the center of when I'd, so I'd be in high, school, in high schools and I'd counsel high school students and I'd share, what do you want? And what are you doing to get what you want? Oh, that's not working? Then why are you still doing that? Is there something that we could come up with in a different way to get that done? Now, what I noticed oftentimes was emotions, they can be really good. We can can hear God through some of our emotions. But they can also wrap us up and get us off path. And reality therapy had something called a therapy car, a behavioral car. And I would, would have had a picture, but it's the day after Christmas, so I didn't have time to get it. But imagine a car, and the front wheels are your thoughts and your decisions, your actions. And the back wheels are your emotions and your body or your physiology, right? We can't always control, most of the time we can't, our emotions and our physiology, right? But the goal is, is that we would have a front-wheel drive car. That we can decide what we think about. That we can pause and weigh decisions. We don't have to just make decisions. We can be filled with angst and depression and sadness and we have almost sometimes, there's just no control of our emotions, right? But as we drive the car that's front wheel with our thoughts and our decisions, our emotions... And oftentimes our physiology, right, struggling with uh, an ulcer, we go for a walk and get some of those endorphins, that has a difference. We drive with what we think about and our decision making. I remember going through reality therapy and thinking of this car and I thought of verse 9. I said, I wonder if Paul was certified in reality therapy. He's saying you can decide what you think about. You can, uh, you know, I'll confess. I still, when I'm anxious about something, you know what I'm doing? Oh, I'm mulling it over in my mind. And there's all these different elements of anxiety that fill my mind, right? And I, ju- I can spend hours just going over and mulling over, and I am not content in every situation. I'm filled with anxiety. And yet, I begin to focus my mind and begin to think about other things, sometimes completely related. Uh, or or related, and sometimes completely unrelated. Now, oftentimes, I'll return to that anxious thought, but with a different perspective. You tracking with me? Would you think about this? Let me read this verse again. I love this verse. Whatever's true, was ever noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't think Paul was necessarily saying just think about church stuff and Jesus stuff. Like he's saying that, boy, when you see a nobility in this world, when you see a purity in the world, Christmas lights, Christmas music, our Christmas Eve service. Kendra and I were sharing about the Christmas Eve service and there were just conversations I had with different people and I prayed with different people on Christmas Eve and those were just beautiful moments. Those were grace-filled moments. This morning, uh, Luke and I drove together, and we're driving down Woodman, and we looked at Pike's Peak again. There's mountains over that. We're just, again, like, Luke is like, that does not look real. That's a postcard. I'm like, yeah, like, God, it's glorious. Like, who is God that he created that? How incredible. And I'm convinced, friends, when you, when you send, spend some time thinking about something noble or, or grace-filled or, or just beauty, God is such a God of beauty, and then you take that, and you bring that perspective to whatever hardship you're struggling, it's going to change your perspective, yes? Well, the God who created Pike's Peak, certainly he can handle this relationship that I'm wrestling. (laughs) You mean this great and awesome God who is the creator of heaven and earth Like, he cares about this pain in my heart? He knows me? Oh, that's the purpose, knowing Christ and union with him. You see, friends, I think that Paul is laying out a particular spirituality in the book of Philippians. And we've just touched on some this morning. I'm excited that we have Reader Sunday next week. Right? We even talk about humility. and That's been a huge part. He's laying out the spirituality. He's laying out this way of living. He's saying, friends, when you do it like this, boy, you'll get the secret of contentment. Let me ask you, we're, we're about to go into the new year. So if you think about practice rejoicing in the Lord, right, where you're placing circumstances in the Lord, and in good times, you're rejoicing in the Lord. If you think about practicing the presence of God, let right, let that your, that your gentle bit, gentleness reveal the Lord is near. Practice praying with thanksgiving, so doing that divine exchange, and practicing this mindfulness, this focus of your thoughts. If you chose one of those to say, in the new year, I'm going to really focus on this one, what would it be? Let's do that in prayer. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for the power of your word. Lord, that you don't leave us, Lord, to uh, remain uh, in our discontent, in our sadness but, Lord, you give us these resources. Lord, would you help us to practice rejoicing in you, Lord? Would you help us to practice your presence, presence of the sacred moment? Practice praying with thanksgiving and that divine exchange. Practice mindfulness. Just between you and the Lord, would you ask him what would be the one that he would invite you to focus on?